Well, we're thankful to have Brother Larry Fife back with us tonight. He did a wonderful job this morning in Bible class and in uh, the worship hour. Uh, no matter what your youngest daughter said, I thought you did a wonderful job. But uh, Brother Larry and his family come to us from Cary, North Carolina. I've known Larry and Larissa for many years, and uh, they are stellar individuals, and they are Christians who uh, love being Christians. They love uh, doing the work of the Lord, and we appreciate them for that. And we need more people like that. We appreciate the uh, uh, the sacrifices that he's made and the sacrifices that his family has made on behalf of our Lord. And we are certainly appreciative of that. But he's going to uh, continue to hold our meeting through Wednesday night. We're thankful for that, and uh, uh, we're so glad that they're able to come be with us. Now, three of their children are with us tonight. Their one son and two daughters who are remain at home with them. They have their oldest son, Tyler, is in uh, college. He's in his junior year at Louisiana Tech uni uh, University in Louisiana, so he cannot uh, be with us tonight. But they have four children, and they are solid workers for the church, and we appreciate them. Brother, come speak to us. First, with me. Uh, and I hate that I missed a fellowship meal today, that I wasn't able to be with you. I'm not moving. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> uh, that I wasn't able to, to enjoy the fellowship meal with you, but uh, um, we had this, this bug going around the church, and I guess I picked it up before I left, but uh, I certainly appreciate your patience and graciousness with me. Uh, but it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, and thank you for being back tonight, and I, I certainly hope that you'll make plans to be here every night this week. I know sometimes we have secular jobs that keep us tied up, but uh, if you can make plans to be here, I guarantee you're going to get something out of it, but also to encourage you uh, to bring somebody with you, uh, share the gospel with them, because that's exactly what this is about. When I was growing up in the church, my grandfather was a gospel preacher. He preached down in Louisiana for 30-plus years. He also worked a secular job as a middle school principal as well and uh, was a graduate of Freed back when it was just a two-year school. Uh, but when I was growing up, uh, they were called revivals down in South Louisiana. You look at Psalm 85 and verse 6, and that's what we just talked about in our gospel meeting slash revival in Cary was a revival is to revive us again, to restore us back to that first love that we often talk about as being Christians, and that's exactly what this is this week as well. But the gospel meetings I used to go to, the revivals, were two-week tent meetings in July in South Louisiana. That is not fun. Uh, and I can remember one time I was about 10 years old and I was staying with my grandparents and uh, we were getting in the car and my grandmother couldn't be there that night because she was working. And we were getting in the car to leave in my grandfather's old 75 duster. And we got in the car and I said, Granddaddy, where are we going? He said, well, I've got to preach in that revival again tonight. I said, why do we have to go to this again? He said, you know you're going to be, a, or I said, I'm never going to be a preacher. And he said, you never know, son, you never know. I wish he was alive to see it. When I think about the church in general, and when I think about the chief cornerstone that it is built upon being Jesus Christ, we are absolutely blessed to be part of that body. We're blessed because God loves us. We're blessed because we're called children of God, 1 John 3, 1. What greater love God hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And it's an absolute blessing and a privilege to be called a child of God and to belong to the body of which His Son was willing to die for that He made us a part of. And with that, we have many different blessings that are contained with that. But mainly the most important blessing I think that we have is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And I think many times perhaps we don't take it as seriously as we ought to when you think about omitting something that God has given to us concerning the Great Commission. And we call it great because that's exactly what it is. Who else is going to teach people about the precious gospel of Jesus Christ? There's a, a fictional story told of Jesus as he ascends back to heaven and Michael the archangel is there and said, Boy, they were pretty rough down on you there, Jesus. And he said, so what are you going to do now? He said, well, I have 12 apostles, and they're going to go out and spread the gospel and teach people about what I did at Calvary. And the archangel said, but what if that doesn't work? Jesus said, I don't have a plan B. Brethren, we are plan A when it comes to being a church that's revived, who loves the Lord, and that's willing to work. And sometimes that's a difficult thing, and it's a discouraging thing in the world in which we live today, isn't it? Because the world is beating us down repeatedly. Because the world says, you know, just give it up, Christianity is dead. Christians are being persecuted more and more throughout the globe. We see it every day on the news. But at the same time, brethren, the church is the same church as it was 2,000 years ago. And that church continues to stand today. Why? Because the church is never going to die. We'll die before the church dies, I can tell you that, or before Christ comes back and calls us home and we go to be with Him in eternity. Before I got into preaching full-time after I got out of the Marine Corps and finished my degree at the University of Tennessee at Martin. Uh, I wasn't a vol, I was a Skyhawk, whatever that is. <laughs> but my wife always laughs because the degree says the University of Tennessee on it. So she always gives me a hard time about being a volunteer fan. But when I finished that, I, I, I worked for a little while out in Oregon as a wildlife biologist on the Fort Hood National Forest. And one of my jobs was to go out and to basically survey downwood timber to look for environments for wildlife in that particular block of wood, or as we called them, the, the acres or particular areas that we were working with. And what we call these things was a niche. And what a niche is, is everything that an animal needs within that particular environment to survive and to sustain itself. And animals, when they're born, they're either born altricial or precocial. Altricial meaning just like a baby, when a baby's born, you have to nurture it. You have to take care of it for a while till it's able to be on its own and walk and talk, and eventually they leave the house and go off to college or whatever they do. But if it's a precocial animal, like many animals we know, they start walking. Many times wood ducks are pushed right out of the nest to start flying, and they begin to take care of themselves. But because we're altricial animals, because we have to be taught, because we have to be given a proper environment of which we're going to live, God gives us everything within that niche of the Lord's church that we need to survive in this world today. Animals go through life cycles concerning their niches. Because as an animal is learning to protect itself and to live off the land in which it's going to be in, they have to learn where they're going to live. Sometimes they traverse hundreds and thousands of miles concerning what they're going to eat and how they're going to take care of themselves. But eventually they get to a point where they learn the niche that they want to live in so they don't have to travel very far. So that niche has everything they need to sustain life and to live and to take care of themselves. The church is the same way, brethren. The church in itself is a niche. It has everything within the confines of the body of Christ that we need to survive and to live in this world today. God gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Everything we do, we do according to God's name and according to what Jesus did for us at Calvary, Colossians 3.17. So when we think about the issue of the church, the Lord's church often passes through different life cycles itself. But some of these life cycles are rather dangerous when it comes to the Lord's church in general. And, and that's what we want to talk about tonight specifically, is that we want to talk about the life cycles of a church. 
not necessarily White Oak, not necessarily Cary, but the Lord's Church in general, and many of the churches perhaps we've been a part of or that we visited or that we know or we know somebody who attends. And when you think about the life cycle of the church, you have to go to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 3, and some of these different verses to see how Jesus was rating the life cycle of the churches at that time. You think about the lukewarm Laodiceans in Revelation chapter 3, right? What did Jesus say? You make me sick to my stomach. I would have you that you're either cold so I can heat you up. I would have you that you're either on fire so I can fan the flame. But don't be mediocre in your service to the Lord and be lukewarm. We've got a professor at Cary. She's a professor of biochemistry and nutrition at NC State. And she said something last week that was very interesting to me as she was talking to myself and the the guest preacher that was there. And she said, you know, I was thinking about that verse where the Lord said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And when we think about food temperature, when we're cooking something, we know that it either has to stay cold or it needs to be cooked. So either it needs to be warmed up and cooked to the proper temperature or it needs to stay cooked or stay warm so that we can continue to eat it. But what happens if you eat something that's lukewarm or that's been sitting out for a while? Probably get food poisoning, right? And that's probably the reference that Jesus is making here. I would that you would either be hot or cold, but because you're neither, you literally make me sick to my stomach. And Jesus said, I have something against you when he's talking about the church at Thyatira that you left your first love. So what begins to happen within the body of Christ when we see different congregations of the Lord's people? Many times they go through these life cycles. So I want to talk to us for just a few moments tonight concerning these life cycles to make sure there's only one cycle that we stay in. And brethren, I'll tell you, that cycle requires work. It requires diligence and it requires effort. When you look at what Paul writes throughout the book of Corinthians... Paul brings out some good points regarding the church at Corinth. Yet the issue was the church was plagued with all kind of spiritual problems. It was plagued with women teaching. It was plagued with them improperly worshiping, improperly partaking the Lord's Supper. All of these things. Paul said you've got some good qualities, but there's some issues that we need to address for you to continue on in serving the Lord. Because Paul taught that the ideal path of a church is ever onward and ever upward, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. I always think about Paul talking about the Christian race that, we, that we're supposed to run, right? Now, raise your hand if you like to run. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> Running is one of those things that require effort, right? It requires a consistent effort on our part. And when you think about the Christian race that Paul talks about, this is how I picture it when we get to heaven and when we cross the finish line into eternity, is that we should be bent over with our hands on our knees absolutely exhausted from the race that we just ran. That's what God expects of us. God doesn't want us to be lukewarm because we make Him sick when we are. If we begin to lose our flame for the Lord, God can fire that back up and get us where we need to do. If we're on fire for the Lord and we're working diligently, God is going to fan that flame so we can continue on word and upward and continue to what work for the Lord's church. But when you think about a vibrant life cycle in the church, comes this renewal of a firm commitment to continue to help the church grow and to stay on fire for the Lord. But what happens many times in the Lord's church is we get comfortable, don't we? Shake your head like this. We all do. We grow weary, we grow tired, we're bogged down with the issues of life, perhaps our children are at home or our grandchildren are at home, whatever the case is, we say that's the preacher's job or that's the elder's job or that's the deacon's job, that's somebody else's job, there's somebody else that will do that work. 
Brethren, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, go ye means go me. That means all of us. And concerning the niche or the environment of the church that we have, we have to make sure that we continue to use the things that God gives us. We must always keep working even when others aren't doing anything. Jesus says in Matthew 7 and verse 20, by your fruits, they shall know you. So what Jesus is telling me is that they're going to know who I am as a Christian in the name that I bear as a child of God based upon the efforts and the work that I do. I can remember when I was in the Marine Corps, every year once you reach NCO, you have to go through your pro and con evaluation. And usually it's your staff NCO or your officer, they sit down with you and they list all of these things. This is what you've done well, this is what you need to improve on. And many times what happens is that will affect your ability to be promoted in the Marine Corps. So many times what happens is you take that sheet of paper, you see where all of your shortcomings are, you fix those so that way when the next time your idea or your time for promotion comes around, you fix the issues that they wanted you to address. Doesn't God do the same thing with us through His Word? The Bible tells us, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It guides me, it directs me, it tells me what I need to do. So here's the standard operating procedure that God gives me that I must evaluate myself on a daily basis, not only as a person within the church, but also within the body of Christ. And if I measure this, pros and cons, and I'm not where I need to be, and I'm swaying to the left or to the right, and I'm not right down the middle, then that's something Paul says you can look in the mirror and fix. And sometimes we have to do that as a congregation, as a body of people, collectively, not individually, not just the preacher or the leaders, but collectively as a body to sit down and say, look, we're lacking in these areas. We've got to fix these things or we're going to end up like the churches that we read about in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. The first church that I want to talk about concerning the life cycle tonight is the risk taker stage. You see, this is the stage we want to be in continually. In this stage, church members are willing by faith to step out and to do the work of the body of Christ. They gladly volunteer. They're involved in the work. They say, hey, use me however you need to use me. I'm willing to do whatever I need to do. But not everybody can get up and lean a song, right? I'm a song starter. I'm not a song leader. But I know my limitations. But at the same time, I want to be used in other areas of the church that I can be effective. When I was in Alabama, we had a wonderful lady there by the name of Miss May. Miss May was almost immobile. She couldn't get out or walk very well, and she had to be helped into the church. But let me tell you, she could write cards and call people. I can't tell you how many cards I had in my desk from that wonderful woman to encourage me and say, we love you, keep up the good work, or thank you for what you're doing. Whatever the case is, that was her ministry. Though she had her limitations, she didn't allow those things to keep her from working for the Lord. You see, as a body of people, we must be willing to step out in faith and take a risk. Just as Jesus was talking to Peter and the other disciples when he said, let's go fishing. What did Peter say? Are you crazy? We've been out there all night fishing. This is our profession. We know what we're doing. Jesus said, get in the boat and let's go fishing. Peter said, at your will, Lord. And as they got out, Peter launched the nets into the deep. And what happened? Those nets were so full they can barely pull them back into the boat. We've got to be willing to trust in who Jesus is to work for him, to be a risk taker. But the, you think about the Thessalonian church. 
They had this bold devotion for Jesus. And even, even Paul talks about it in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3 because they were steadfast until the Lord was going to return. They were ready for it, but they were continually working at the same time. They were giving of their means to other churches to help them to grow as well because they were wanting to step out and to be risk takers. You see, the adventure of faith means commitment to work hard and to sacrifice to build up the church of the body of Christ and to make it stronger. Brethren, the greatest thing we need to do today is enforce the walls that are already there by Christ. Because the world is steadily trying to beat those walls down and get inside, aren't they? That's exactly where the devil wants to be. He wants to be in here. But when you think about the characterization that church talks about, or Paul talks about the church at Philippi, in zealously supporting his works, they were willing to step out in faith and give everything they could to him that he might continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think about the church in Rome, it was widely known because of its fruits and its efforts. And Paul is expressing this idea because of who they were and what they were willing to do. We know all these things. We know what we have to do. But here's what my mother used to say to me many times. I'll be very honest with you. I was not a good student in high school. At all. I did just enough to get by. I barely passed English my senior year. So much so that I was worried about it that I took off out of the stadium after they graduated us, grabbed my diploma before they could change their mind, and I was the first one out of the parking lot. I was scared to death they were going to change their mind. I was mediocre in my service, and it didn't do me any good until later in life when I realized, looking in the rearview mirror, that an education is what you need. And sometimes that requires diligent effort on our part, right? You think about those of you who've earned a degree, you know all the effort and time that goes into that and what you have to put into earning that, right? And when you do it, you have accomplished something. So think about that in retrospective concerning the Lord's church and us building up the church and seeing what the church can be and being risk takers. But the problem that we're facing today and what we're beginning to see is that too many churches have entered into the caretaker stage. You think again about the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. They thought they had arrived. They thought they were where they needed to be. What did Jesus say? I know your name. you got a good name. But the problem is you've arrived and you stopped moving. And Jesus wasn't going to have that. The church at, at, at Laodicea said, you know, we don't even have need of anything. They were so smugly and bold within their own self-righteousness, they thought they had arrived and they, there was nothing they needed to do. So they were simply taking care of the church in its current state. They were simply keeping it afloat. Brethren, I can't tell you how many churches I've seen close its doors because of the caretaker stage. Because what begins to happen is people grow weary. They don't see any growth. They don't see any excitement. So we begin to lose our vim and our vigor for the Lord's church. And we ourselves begin to slack in our service. And then we also slack in our work. And it becomes this cycle of churches closing their doors. I can name all five churches right now that have closed their doors within the last five years. And it absolutely breaks my heart because people begin to go by the status quo until there is no quo anymore. And what happens is they can't sustain themselves any longer. You see, after a church is spiritually developed, it's really easy for that church to drift into the comfort zone. We get comfortable, don't we? What happens is we sit back on the seat of do nothing, leaning back on the arms of do less, and we get comfortable in our service. We punch our pew card on Sunday morning, and we think we've arrived. But brethren, that's not service to the Lord. And I always tell these young guys that want to go to preaching school, one thing, and you can ask my kids, that I cannot tolerate is laziness. Nor do I tolerate it in a gospel preacher. 
But I tell these kids that want to go to preaching school, preaching is simply 10% of your job. 90% of your job is being in a minister at loving people and helping the church grow. And brethren, we all have to be willing to do that kind of work. That we've got to be on fire, that we've got to have a love for the Lord because we don't want to get into this caretaker stage. Oftentimes the church holds its own but doesn't look for any spiritual challenges to members. You know, a lot of times we as a body of people just want to be challenged in our work for the Lord, don't we? Sometimes we don't always step out and raise our hand because maybe we don't know what to do, but we can step out and say, use me how you need me or whatever talent needs to be done. But we can't become the caretakers. You see, what happens is members become weary of the work and sacrifice that's involved and we just simply begin to maintain the church. We pay the power bills, we keep the lights on, we've hired a good preacher, we've grown to a good comfortable level, we can maintain the things that we want, we're supporting a few programs. Brethren, that's not the work of the church because I don't find the caretaker stage within the confines of the holy writ that God has given us. It's not there. You know, I think about these disciples in a time that they were going out. This was something completely new to the world. And the world didn't want to hear it. Jesus sending these men out two by two because they were in danger of losing their lives to continue to preach the gospel as he gave them the limited commission and telling people about this person nobody knew anything about other than by rumors occasionally and maybe they had passed him or seen him in a crowd here and there. But concerning your spiritual temperature, are you maintaining are you on fire? Because only we can evaluate where we are spiritually speaking. But brethren, we have to make sure that we're not a caretaker church, simply maintaining to stay afloat. But the one that probably scares me the most is the undertaker stage. If a church remains in the caretaker stage long enough, that's exactly what happens. Call in the undertaker and preach the funeral because that church is no longer there. And if I can just let you see how sad that is to see a church close its doors and say, well, that's where we used to attend, but now such and such denominations in there because they bought the building. Why? Well, because we just stopped growing. Why did you stop growing? Well, I don't know. I do. We stopped working. It's interesting to think about in the secular world, in our jobs, if we don't work and we don't live up to what we've been hired to do, how long do we last at that employment? Not very long, right? Well, unless you work for the federal government. Then it's an act of Congress to get you fired. But many times, as you go in for the evaluations, they'll say, you know what, you're just not holding your own here, and we think we've got uh, to let you go. We, we've got a better fit. Rightly so. If you're not holding up your end of the bargain and you're not working, what happens is you're going to get fired. Think if the Lord did that to us as his people. You know, if we went through a quarterly evaluation, as the Bible really tells us to do, to evaluate ourselves on a daily basis, but just think if the Lord evaluated us, say on a quarterly basis, and said, you know what, Larry, you're really not any use to me. You really haven't done much in the last several months. You have you been at church in, in at least two months in and of itself, so I don't know what's going on, but we need to part ways. How would that make us feel as a body of people? Probably pretty degraded, right? But that's how we have to look at it concerning our service to the Lord. The Lord, speaking of the church at Sardis, said, You're dead. 
They had a name. They had this great name. But spiritually speaking, they were absolutely dead. Revelation 3, 1. And that's Jesus in Christ, Jesus the Christ himself saying this. Can you imagine the Lord calling us a dead body of people? You're dead. And so much so you make me sick to my stomach. I don't even want to know you. Jesus says in Revelation 3 again, he says, I know your works. He says, I know your name. You even have in one version says you have a reputation of being alive. A reputation of being alive, yet you're dead spiritually. Brother, here's one thing we have to remember. Your sign outside says the White Oak Church of Christ. Where I preach, it says the Cary Church of Christ. But guess what, brethren? We're all members of the same Church of Christ. So therefore, we reflect each other when it comes to our service to the Lord. I can remember when I was in boot camp, one of the things that our drill instructors loved to do when they punished us, if one person messed up, everybody got punished. Oh, let me tell you how excited that made us. But this one person would eventually be uh, encouraged to do better because we were tired of paying and sweating on the quarter deck and having to run around the, the barracks or do up-downs in the sand pit with all the sand fleas and everything else. It was not pleasant. But we would pull them aside and say, Hey, buddy, I'm tired of doing all this exercise for you because you don't have it together. Doesn't the Bible talk about something of those that are caught up in sin that we're to call them out and say, Hey, we've got to fix this. Let's fix this so we can get back on track. Even the Bible talks about saving a soul, right? So we have to make sure that we're not becoming undertakers. But what happens is you have this church here, they were simply trying to, what, exist based upon their reputation. We used to be a good church. How many times I've heard that? We used to be a large church. We used to be on fire. We used to do all these things. My question always is, why aren't you now? Where did you stop in the process? That's a leadership issue sometimes, and it's a preacher issue sometimes. But what happens is a church in the undertaker stage lives in the past. And if we're not careful, what's going to happen is we're going to end up preaching the funeral for that church. One of our instructors tells the story. He said, sometimes maybe we need to go into these congregations that are spiritually dead, and we need to put a coffin in the front with a mirror in it and have everybody walk by and look into that coffin. It's a pretty sobering thought to think about. To look into a coffin and see your face staring back at you because that's you and that's the church you attend. Brethren, that's not the church we're a part of. Jesus Christ died and was raised again on the third day. And we rejoice in that, brethren. We have every reason to rejoice. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. We rejoice based upon the fact of what God did for us. Why wouldn't I want to share that and revive myself to encourage other people to be on fire for the Lord just like I am? We have to ask ourselves, how do we fit into the church's life cycle? You know, are we a risk taker? Are we willing to step out by faith and trust the Lord that he's going to provide for us and help the church grow? Are we a caretaker simply keeping house? Are we an undertaker where the church is eventually going to close its doors? I hope it's the first one only. But you see, we have to answer that collectively. So where are we as a body of people? Only you know. Tonight, where are you at in the life cycle of your spiritual life? Are you on fire for the Lord? Are you simply maintaining the status quo and just kind of doing what you have to do to get by? Are you in fear of losing your soul because of the way that you're living? The Lord says you can come back. We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. And God is willing and just to forgive us of our transgressions. But that's the decision you have to make. 
And if it is the case that you're here tonight and you've never put on Christ in baptism, then tonight you have the opportunity. I'm sure the baptistry is ready. Rick's willing and ready to do it. The only thing that's holding you back is perhaps you holding on to the back of that pew and not letting go. If you've never repented of your sins, if you've never confessed your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you've never put them on in baptism, 1 Peter 3, 21, I encourage you to do that tonight. Make it known as together we stand and as we sing.